Okay, let me pray for us and we'll get started tonight. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Joshua. Uh, we don't miss the comparison that uh, the Joshua that we're going to read about over the next few weeks uh, is um, uh, an Old Testament picture of our Lord Jesus, uh, the great Joshua. So thank you for the wonderful things we can learn about the Old Testament Joshua. Thank you for the things that it teaches us about our wonderful New Testament Joshua, the Lord Jesus. Um, and I pray that your spirit would take your word and just take what is yours and implant it deep in our minds and in our hearts and in our souls and do your good work in our lives from the inside out please. And we ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, tonight we begin Yeshua, Joshua, great book. You're going to like it. Okay, so tonight I want to start this way. Simple picture, profound message, right? American flag, simple picture. There's a profound message behind that flag. Here's another one. Simple picture. Profound message behind that. Not a positive one. A simple picture, profound message. Another simple picture. Profound message. Each one of these pictures is very simple. But each picture conveys a, a profound message that travels from our eyes through our brains and down into our hearts. Um, each, each one of these pictures touches each one of us, I hope deeply, but in a slightly different, slightly different way. But it's a simple picture. The very, very profound message that resonates with our hearts I got one more to show you. Simple picture, profound message. When you go to Israel, you will see the Jordan River. This is the Jordan River. You're thinking, wait, I thought it looked like the Mississippi. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Here it is, the Jordan River. I'm not sure that this is exactly across from Jericho, but it's very close. Simple picture, but a profound message. Uh, let's see. Remember in chapter 4, uh, they set up some stones uh, and Joshua says, you know, when the children ask you what happened, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. Jordan River. Simple picture. Profound message. Hopefully after we finish studying this, this will be one of those pictures that resonates in your heart. Not just, oh, I know what that is. That's the Jordan River. I want this one to really, really connect and resonate with you way deep down. 
because of what it represents. So let's talk about it. The entire first five books of the Old Testament have been pointing to this. How did we get here? We started with the family tree of faith. If you remember in Genesis, the the, uh, patriarchs get promises. Jacob goes down to Egypt, goes down with 70-ish people. They grow and develop in Exodus. God comes down through the person of Moses, and he rescues them. He takes them then on their way to the promised land. They decide when they get to Kadesh Barnea, remember like Cody said this morning, the Sadducees are sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. So the other Sunday school thing is 10 said no, 2 said go. Joshua and Caleb could not convince the nation to go. And so as a consequence, they wander for 40 years in the wilderness, and the first generation dies off. Now the second generation is standing right here, right across from the promised land. All they got to do is get across the Jordan River to possess their inheritance because their parents wandered in unbelief for 40 years. It's now the second generation's turn to go inherit or possess what God promised. He promised them land, but this is their inheritance where all the good that he's going to do for them and in them is going to happen in this place. They're standing right across the river, right? Can you imagine? Right across the river from the promised land. This has been a journey 40 years in the making. So if you were 20 years old and a male and you didn't go fight, you died in the first generation. If you're a 19-year-old male, because you're not of fighting age yet, and you wandered 40 years in the desert, there could be some 59-year-old people who are standing right across the river from the Promised Land, thinking, why didn't my parents come here? (laughs) There they are. They're standing there. And God has brought them to this place And now it falls not to Moses, but to Joshua to take them across the Jordan and into the promised land. The only thing that's keeping me from my inheritance is the river. All I got to do is get across this thing. How are they going to do that? That's how the book begins. And so Joshua... The word I've put on the book of Joshua is possess. In other words, God's given them their inheritance. It's been sitting over there waiting for them. What do they have to do? They have to go possess it. How do they possess it? They have to get into it. They have to fight for it. They have to keep it. And so Joshua is the book of how the uh, people of Israel actually become a nation because a nation needs not only people, And a constitution, they have a constitution in the um, um, uh, uh, Mosaic Covenant. They need land. A nation isn't a nation without land. And so here comes their land. This is their inheritance, what God has prepared for them. 
He wants them through Joshua to go possess it. And so that's what's going to happen. The book of Joshua, we don't know exactly. Probably Joshua writes it, or at least the vast majority of it. He probably writes it at the end of the seventh year. It takes seven years for all these things to take place, particularly the conquest. So he's writing it probably 1399 B.C. How do I get to 1399? That's right. 1 Kings 6.1, 480 years from 960 B.C. So we get back to 1446, and then we go down... 40 years, so now we're at 1406, 1406 minus 7, 1399. So 1399 is roughly the year that Joshua finishes his assignment and the people of Israel have begun to possess their inheritance. Where? We don't know exactly where he wrote it. Perhaps he wrote it uh, from his hometown. Why? To give an official account of the historical fulfillment of the Lord's promise to the patriarchs to give Israel the land of Canaan by holy war. God gave Abraham three promises, land, seed, blessing. First one, land. They don't have it yet. They're about to get it. So what God promised them, they are about to possess. Here's our big idea for tonight. God's people can't possess their inheritance until they cross the river. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Wow, Bill, that is sure insightful. <laughs> Just wait. God's people can't possess their inheritance until they cross the river. A very simple picture. Chapter 1. They're beginning to prepare to cross the river, and Joshua is going to be affirmed as God's leader. I, I just, Joshua is amazing to me for so many different reasons, but can you imagine following in Moses' footsteps? I can't. Forty years uh, they've followed Moses in the desert, and here comes Joshua. And so God basically tells him in 1 through 5, here's your land. Uh, and now, Joshua, verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. <laughs> he continues to encourage Joshua, you are the man, take them in. And so God reminds Joshua this is his land, and he encourages Joshua that he's with them and that this is his assignment. So God charges Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. Next few verses, Joshua charges the Israelites to follow. And so Joshua, in verse 10, Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. And so Joshua commands he charges the Israelites, here we go. They're going to get prepared in 10 and 11, and then in 12 through 15, he's going to remind them of their obligation. And so he does that um, up until verse 15. He especially 
um, reminds Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Uh, he says, stay with them until the Lord gives them rest, as He has given you rest, and until they too possess the land your God is giving them. Only then may you return and settle here on the east side of the Jordan River in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, assigned to you. And so he charges the Israelites to follow him, and the eastern tribes say, we will do it. So, good. Everybody is ready to go. Again, when you go to Israel, you will see the ruins of Jericho. What did the original Jericho look like? I don't know. But I bet it was big, and I bet it was imposing because remember what the, the story that the uh, ten came back with? The walls reach to heaven. I kind of imagine that means they weren't about eight feet tall. I don't know how tall they were. But remember, if you're Israel, what, do, what have you brought with you? Uh, some sticks and maybe some rocks. <laughs> what is that going to do against these giant walls and people with real weapons? What is that going to do? So here, this is part of the city, just the ruins of part of the city. But look, I, I don't know if that's the thickness of the wall, hard to tell. But can you imagine that? Ooh, that's scary. So Joshua is affirmed as God's leader. If you're one of God's people and you're still on this side, you're, you might be looking across the Jordan going, hmm. <laughs> We're going to take that, right? Everybody got their sticks? Everybody got their rocks? Mm, really? We're going to go take that thing down? Mm. Okay, Joshua. Don't underestimate these people's faith. I would have been sitting there going, you know, that, that is a pretty big thing. How are we going to take that down? God has called Joshua to lead them in there. But what does God need to do? He needs to encourage the people. And so chapter 2 is his encouragement. And his encouragement comes in the form of Rahab. So the, Joshua sent two spies out. They, uh, they go over there. They find uh, Rahab in the wall. That's where her... Um, she probably had an inn, I-N-N. She probably had an inn um, that did maybe more than serve drinks and, and food. Um, uh, so anyway, she had an establishment there. And so they probably found her uh, in very easily. And they go in, and she hides them, and they make a deal, basically. Uh, and they come back, finally the spies come back, and they give a good report that um, we're going to be able to do this. So God encourages his people. This is amazing. Uh, Rahab is in uh, Matthew. She's in, uh, she's in the genealogy. She's a prostitute. She's a sinner. She lives in a city destined for destruction. She knows that. She knows and sees her need for deliverance. If you don't help me, I'm going to die, me and my whole family. So she understands her need for deliverance. She has faith in God's character and His Word. 
And then she receives God's promise of deliverance through the word of the spies. Gosh, it kind of almost sounds like New Testament, doesn't it? There's a sinner uh, who knows her need. She has faith in God's character and his word. And she receives God's promise of deliverance through the word of the spies. Huh. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, that is your assignment for the summer, in addition to all the other stuff you're reading here. Yeah, read Pilgrim's Progress. Fantastic book. Uh, very much like this story right here. But here is another sinner saved by grace. And she believes God's promise. She believes God, and she believes his promise and his deliverance and what color is the cord that hangs out the window? Scarlet, yes. It's, it's red. So she, uh, she hangs this rope outside of her window. And they make an agreement. She makes an agreement with the spies and says, this is what I'll do. And they say, this is what we'll do. And so then the spies leave. And so God encourages his people that there are people inside who have heard of what Yahweh has done and are frightened to death over us coming. They've heard about Og. Remember King Og? They've heard about King Bashan and how the Israelites wiped these guys out. And now here they are right across from our town. Guess what? They know they're coming. And they don't know how they're going to stop them. So chapter 2 is a great encouragement as they're preparing to cross the river. Chapter 3, it's getting more exciting. The actual crossing. The people prepare themselves. So early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites leaved, left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. They said, okay, first the priests are going to take the ark into the water, and when you see them do that, then you stay about half a mile behind them, and you walk through there, okay? Let them go first. And so once they do that and they'll get to the other side, then the water will come back. So God's going to stand the water up, just like he did with the Red Sea, and the people are going to walk across on dry ground, and then the water is going to come back. So, God gives Joshua his word, and that's in uh, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 6. He says, in the morning, Joshua said to the priest, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. So, they started out and went ahead of the people. So, God gives Joshua's word. The leaders put their faith in God and put his word into action. Verse 14, so the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. So the leaders put their faith in God and put his word into action, and God keeps his word as his people trust and obey. Verse 17, Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood on dry ground 
in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Whew! They're going across. Here we go. If you're the second generation, gosh, I'd be kind of doing a little dance. <laughs> you're like, we're here. We're here. We're going to possess it. All right, so they're getting to the other side. Once they get to the other side, chapter 4, when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan, carry them out, and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. Twelve, now, these were probably not little stones. <laughs> these were probably big, as big as they could carry. Carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So they begin, they're getting on the other side. Now they go get 12 big stones. One memorial is built by the tribal leaders in Gilgal. From, that was in verse 8. It's also in verse 20. On the promised land side of the Jordan. Not on this side, but on that side of the Jordan. So they build, whether, some people think it was a circle, because Gilgal can mean um, roll or rolling. Um, and so some people think they maybe made a circle. Maybe. Um, some people think they kind of made more of a pyramid-looking thing. I don't know. Um, could have been something completely different. One memorial, then Joshua does the same thing in the middle of the Jordan River. So Joshua goes off and gets 12 stones, and he places them where the priests are standing with the Ark of the Covenant. So he builds whatever it was. So let's just pretend it was a little pyramid-shaped thing. So they build a little pyramid-shaped thing on the promised land side of the Jordan, and Joshua goes out here, and he builds a little pyramid-shaped thing in the middle of the Jordan River where the priests are standing. Okay, so two memorials get built. Uh, it's an event never to be forgotten. Let's see. There, there, uh, verse 9. Joshua also set up another pile of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And they are there to this day. So the priests stand there till everyone is safely on the other side as the people watched. Uh, let's see. That day the Lord made Joshua a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. And for the rest of his life, they revered him as much as they had revered Moses. Wow. Okay. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the, tell the priests to come up out of the water. And what's, this last sentence is where I'm wanting this to resonate with you. Uh, and that's at the end of, well, no, it's at the end of chapter, no, sorry, verse 7 of chapter 4. 
These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Forever. Make a memorial. They should stand forever. Right? Because the children would even ask in generations to come. So this is an event that is never to be forgotten. It's to be memorialized, if you will. So they cross, they make some memorials. Chapter 5, they renew the covenant. Uh, let's see. When all the, oh, I love chapter 5, verse 1. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all of the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. So now they've got to take care of some business, now that they're on the promised land side. So the covenant mark of circumcision is done on the promised land side. Now that would have included all males, eight years old and older, through, say, 59 or 60 they rested for a while <laughs> after that. Uh, and so the second generation, how crazy are the parents? They didn't even follow the instruction for circumcision for 40 years in the wilderness. You say, really, were they that disobedient? Mm. This is one thing they were supposed to be doing, and they didn't do it. They didn't take care of any of this for any male for 40 years. So they get across the river, and Joshua says, mm, here's the first thing we're going to do. <laughs> okay, men, line up. <laughs> but Joshua is committed to obeying the covenant, to being obedient. And so he does that. Remember, somebody else got in trouble for not obeying this, right? His name was Moses. <laughs> Moses didn't obey this with his two kids. Isn't that you go, whoa, what? So Joshua makes sure that he's going to start off in a good place. So they take care of business with circumcision. Then they hold. Okay, so he circumcises all the men. Then he says, today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. So, the place, so that place has been called Gilgal. To this day. So there's the roll idea of rolled your shame away. While the Israelites were camped at Gilgal, they celebrated Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. Get this no manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. So they celebrate Passover, and then they have new corn or new grain on the promised land side that begins to feed them. What had been feeding them? The manna provided by God in the wilderness. That stops because God has provided something new for them to eat on the promised land side. Right? Right? So you got the story. You got some details here. Joshua has led the people, the, the children of Israel, he led them across the Jordan River, which 
stacked up and dried up, and they went across. He builds a couple of memorials. They take care of covenant business. When he gets there, the manna stops, and new food starts. Yes! Do you see why this should be so deeply imprinted in your heart? No, I see most of you smirking. Mm. No, I don't really see. It's a good picture, Bill. Good story. Here we go. Christians, that's you and me, can't possess their inheritance until they cross the river. This is the profound message from the simple picture. The profound message is that Christians can't possess their inheritance until they cross the river. So what does that mean? Crossing the river. And you'll notice I have it in quotes. Crossing the river. Crossing the river is a metaphor for walking in the energy of the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of leaving your wandering in the wilderness of self-effort behind in order to walk with Joshua across the river. And it's an illustration of the truths taught by Paul in Romans 5 through 8. Here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying there is some second experience or second baptism or something like that. I'm not saying that. This is a picture. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 11, I believe, that the, the geography and the journey from Exodus to the conquest were given to us as pictures of spiritual truths. These are the spiritual truths that perhaps, more than likely, Paul has in mind. You and I need to cross the river. Now, some of you may have done that. Some of you may be saying, I still don't know what you're talking about. That's all right. We're going to clear this up. Remember, this is just a metaphor or a picture or an illustration. They really did walk across a dry riverbed, okay? I'm not saying they didn't. They really, really did. Paul's just saying there's some meaning in, in what they did in the New Testament that we need to pay attention to, that they couldn't have seen or known yet, but we can So here it is, crossing the river. Two memorials were built. One was buried under the water. Remember the one Joshua made? Where was it? In the middle of the river. What happened when the water came back over it? It was covered up. But there was an identical memorial on the promised land side. What does that look like to you? It should look like baptism, where you go down in the water and you come up to new life on the other side. The same memorial that gets buried is the same memorial on the promised land side. Spiritual truths. Now, they didn't, they couldn't have, they didn't know that. But Paul says, look back. You can see where God was at work, leaving little pictures for us, even in the Old Testament. 
So one was buried under the water. The other one was raised to newness of life on the other side. And where were these stones taken from? From the middle of the river. So I got a memorial sitting in the middle of the river, and the stones coming out from that went onto the promised land side. I hope you're seeing the picture. You should be seeing the picture. It's a picture of a New Testament believer's baptism. Unity with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. That is Romans 6. It's an illustration, it's a picture of a believer's death and new life. Okay? You. What about the next one? The circumcision. It's the cutting off of the flesh or the sinful nature. It's a spiritual picture of putting off self-effort. And you say, my goodness, this is just too much for me. Turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. I'm not making this up. I'm just going to read it. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with Him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Your flesh was circumcised. It was cut off. It was put off. This is a spiritual picture. Why does one thing follow another here? Okay? So they go through this first experience, and then they get to the circumcision. It's putting off self-effort. Where is self-effort pictured? In the wilderness. In the wilderness, they had to leave the wilderness and come into the promised land. So circumcision, they celebrate Passover. They look back on the blood of the sacrificed lamb. Sound familiar? What about the corn or the grain? It's the energy, if you will, indigenous, so only a part of the promised land side, not of the wilderness side, of the promised land side. God has provided new food on the promised land side. It's different than the food He provided in the wilderness. Okay, I know there's a lot here. You're going to get it. Or you just think I'm crazy, which is fine. You can think that too. Two memorials. Here's a picture. Next thing that happens is circumcision. The putting off of self-effort. There's a looking back on the sacrificed lamb, and there is new energy on the promised land side for me to live the promised land life. All right, come on, you're going to get it. Every Christian must cross the river. Every Christian must get his or her arms around their new identity in Christ. Every Christian must learn to walk in accordance with their new position in Christ. 
every Christian must begin to live more consciously of both death to self and self-effort. Death to self and self-effort. That's the big picture. Every Christian, we have to get out of the wilderness. We have to get into the promised land because that's where the energy is to live out our inheritance. We cannot live out our inheritance if we're wandering around in the wilderness. And in the wilderness is where self-effort and uh, scheming and things like that, that's where, that's where that lives, is out in the wilderness. We don't want to live there. We don't want to live there anymore. We don't need to live there. We can live on the promised land side. We can walk with Christ in the power of the Spirit. We must walk as men and women made new. Men and women made new. I don't know how many of you watched the coronation. Uh... So, this is just one person looking at it, and I'm not trying to make more of this or anything, okay? But this is just how my twisted mind works. Uh, there are two sons of the king, right? Uh, William and Harry. One seems to be acting like a prince. One, again, I'm not trying to make, I'm trying to make a spiritual analogy, but I'm not trying to, by analogy, say these men are spiritual. Got it? Okay. But William is behaving like the guy who's living in the promised land, and Harry is the guy who's wandering the wilderness. Are they both the son of a king? Is their identity tied up in the king? Yes. But you're looking at pictures of you and me. And one day I can be William and one day I can be Harry. One day I can behave like the son of a king. And one day I can behave <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> and as soon as daddy's done with me and the press is off me, I get back on the plane and I fly home. Because I don't want to be there. We can be both of these people. Minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. These are just other pictures of what's going on here. Paul is using this. He's going to teach us in the New Testament we have to live like we're living in the promised land. This has to do with our identity, our position in Christ, putting off self-effort, self and self-effort, and walking as the men and women who are made new like we have been. Remember what I read in Colossians? For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, get this, you were raised to new life. You want me to read that again? What does it say? And with him, you were past tense, were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Do you know what? You have already been resurrected. 
spiritually speaking. You're just waiting for your new body. Mine's going to be a good-looking one, too. <laughs> Can't wait to have it. You've already died. You died in Christ. When he died, you died. When he was buried in the ground for three days, you were buried in the ground for three days. When he was resurrected to new life, you were resurrected to new life. Where are we supposed to live? Across the Jordan. We're supposed to live in the promised land and put off self-effort and walk in the power of the Spirit. But since we struggle to do that, what do we do? At night, we walk back across the river <laughs> and we wander around in the wilderness and we go, you know what? <sighs> Whether I've been in Christ 10 years or 50 years, I guess this is just all there is. I don't know how to live any differently. And you're wandering around the wilderness and you, you, just, you go, what are you doing? I've done it plenty. That's why I love this part of our Old Testament when we go to the back and forth in the New Testament. The truths that we have got to continue to get under our belt are these. How do I walk as a, as a person made new in the promised land, eating the corn, eating the new grain that's on the promised land side? And trust me, if you haven't been through this class before, I am not talking weird stuff. You're like, whoa, where is this going? It's going to Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, and that's where we're headed starting next week. I want you to read Romans 5 because we're going to go spend four weeks in Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, okay? Because that's the truth of what there is a picture tucked away here back in Joshua. But we have to walk as men and women made new. Here's some questions, just some diagnostic questions. What would you say best characterizes your daily energy for walking the Christian walk? The strength of the flesh or the strength of the Spirit? It's for you. You, you can answer that question. Are you walking in the reality of your new identity in Christ, a man or woman made new? And you go, well, I am because I trusted Christ. Y yes, 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 you are. Are you living that out, William? Or are you living that out, Harry? Which one are you living like? And believe me, it can happen multiple times a day. Do you feel stuck or stagnant in your walk? Are you tired of your walk? You say, I, I guess this is just all there is because I don't know how to do anything differently. So, can't wait till I get to heaven because then something will be different. Simple picture. Profound message. Life on the promised land side is very, very different than life on the wilderness side. Most of us, though, get content to live in the wilderness and wait for the Lord to come, or we're going to go six feet under and meet Him that way. <laughs> That's what we seem to be waiting for. 
I don't think that's what the Scriptures are encouraging us to do. Paul is going to invite us, in fact, exhort us to live as men and women made new in Christ. And we're going to take a look at that. Simple picture, profound message, and that's why I want this to begin to resonate in your heart like those other pictures. I want you to go, oh my goodness, this is a powerful picture coming across the Jordan. I want to be there. So for next time, read Romans 5. I know that's Mother's Day. Mm, Bring your mother. (laughs) Romans 5, we're going to spend our whole time in Romans chapter 5. If you want to read 5, 6, 7, and 8, they're kind of a unit. If you want to read 5, 6, 7, and 8, you can start in on that. You're going to have to read them two or three times. Uh, There's a lot of material in there, but read 5, 6, 7, and 8. But next week, we'll talk about Romans 5. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, uh, it's amazing. Um, You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and your truths are the same. And would you continue to show us um, who you are and your truths Uh, And would you please, for all of us, um, help us not only to understand, but to put our faith into action and walk in the power of the Spirit as men and women made new. Uh, We cannot do that apart from you. Forgive us because we are so self-reliant and so self-centered. Forgive us, please. But empower us with your spirit. I love how Cody finished his sermon today with God can. God can. You can do this in us, Lord. I'm confident. Would you please do it? And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. See you in a week.